And you guys are singing loud. Um, before we jump into our message series called Reclaiming Christmas, we just to let you know that um, every year we send out annual reports here at the end of the year. And um, so apparently the, um, the mailing system for Port Clinton is a little slow at this point. So many of you probably haven't received this yet, even though we mailed it a while ago. I have yet to receive mine. Um, but this annual, annual report is just a recap of the year to kind of give you a report of what's kind of gone on in there. There are some statistics, like uh, if, where, if you give $100, where does it go to, um, how we are using the money that you graciously give. Uh, there's also a lot of stats in there of like what we were going through this year, which is crazy to think that the, in, because of COVID and not meeting, there are 725 hours of editing, 150 hours of filming, which I will say this, uh, teaching to a camera is the worst. I, I, I don't appreciate that. And then whatever terabytes are, that's, a, a, I guess, a lot. Um, and so that, that's a part of that. There's also a bunch of stories in there as well about how God has worked in people's hearts and lives, even in the midst of COVID. And then, of course, just to let you know, every year we kind of give you what's still needed to make our budget. But with all that said, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your generosity and giving over and beyond this year. It's been remarkable to see God's people just graciously give uh, where a lot of churches are struggling, we are not, and that's because of you. And so thank you for that and your generosity. Um, but like I said, those are, we do have those. If you, if you don't want to wait for the mail, uh, we do have annual reports at the Welcome Center. You can go pick one up today on your way out. We'll give one per family, okay? And so those are available to you, or you can wait for yours in the mail. Um, so like I said, we are continuing our message series called Reclaiming Christmas, where we are trying to reorient our priorities during this Christmas season to re reflect what this season truly is about. It's, a, it's almost cliche these days to say like, oh, what the real meaning of Christmas is, but that's exactly what we want to do. We want to reclaim what Christmas is. Because let's face it, we all struggle with some tensions. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the tension between stress and stillness. Uh, for a lot of people, Christmas is stressful when in all reality, it should be a time of stillness because of who Christ is, the hope and the, the joy and the, the peace he brings. Last week, we looked at the tension between getting and giving. We all feel that tension as well. I'm trying to teach my seven-year-old that Christmas is not about getting. Maybe you've experienced that with your kids. They open a present. They say, oh, awesome, what's next, right? This idea of getting is instilled deep within our hearts, and so we have to reclaim this idea that Christmas is about giving. And today, we are going to look at the tension between problems versus peace. Problems versus peace. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screens for you today. Problems versus peace. And so maybe you're thinking, well, isn't that stress versus stillness? Yes, stillness is a type of peace. But today, we're going to be focusing on problems with others and peace with others. Okay, so problems with others or peace with others. Now, when I think about Christmas and problems with people, I instantly think of 
Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. If you've never seen it, the whole opening scene is this idea of problems with others. Let me recap this opening scene for you. Kevin's eight. They have tons of family at the house. Everybody's freaking out. They're all packing. And then all of a sudden, one of his aunts says, hey, you need to pack your bag, Kevin. He doesn't know how to pack his bag. So he goes around and he starts asking his siblings to help him pack his bag. And of course, there's problems that that come from that because older siblings are mean. I'm the baby of the family. I know that. And so there's issues there. There's issues with his uncle. His uncle doesn't care about him and all that stuff. His parents doesn't, don't really help him out either. So he's having these issues. And then it all kind of builds up. The pizza arrives. And we all know Kevin McAllister loves cheese pizza. And so he goes downstairs to get pizza. And, and lo and behold, Buzz, his older brother, is eating the last cheese pizza. And he just shoves it all in his mouth. And he says, tough luck, Kevin. And then Kevin, of course, retaliates by pushing Buzz. He spills everything. Family freaks out. And then he gets sent to the third floor in which he is left home alone. Okay? I just told you the whole movie. Okay? (laughs) The reason why Home Alone hits so deep in our hearts is because we can all relate, can't we? Maybe not on that level, but at some point in our lives, we've all experienced that the problems with people. Like that, either people with problems with family, problems with your coworkers, problems with your friends, all of us have, have experienced those issues in life, especially around the Christmas season. It's always just a little heightened because families around maybe you aren't getting along with. Friends are around, or maybe they're not around at this time, and you feel left alone. Or coworkers, who knows what they're doing? So all of us in this time, we need to reclaim what Christmas is. If we want to reclaim Christmas, we must strive for peace with others. We must strive for peace with others. That's going to be on the screen here in a second. We must strive for peace with others. And I want to show you that word strive means to aim or struggle for. We need to aim for peace with others. We need to struggle for it rather than just giving in to the problems that we have with our family, our friends, and whoever else we're coming into. And in fact, for us who follow Jesus, we actually should be known for our peace with others. When people think of you and think of me, they should think peace because of what Christ has done for us. And so let's look at this a little bit. Why do we experience so many relational problems with others? That's a good place to start. You usually have to start with this negative connotations. Uh, Why do we struggle with problems? And then we're going to talk about peace. Well, we struggle with problems with others, friends, family, whoever, because of our lack of love towards one another. And let me tell you, God knew we would struggle with this. Do you know that? God knew that we would struggle loving others. Look what it says in Leviticus 19.18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, which basically says, hey, you're going to have issues. And then it says, but love your neighbor as yourself. So rather than having problems with others, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then it ends with, I am the Lord. How many parents out there have ended your statement to your child, I'm your father? (laughs) Right? 
it says, listen up. It says, listen. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, 31, uh, quotes this, and he goes further. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. God knew we would struggle with this. Because God knows that we all naturally love ourselves more than other people. Think about the last problem with another person you had in life. Think about it. Bring it to mind. Maybe it was on your car right over here this morning. Some of you are sitting in different clusters because of it. Just kidding. (laughs) Think about that, though. Think about the last problem, okay? Got it in your mind? At the root cause of that issue was most likely because of you or the other person acted unloving. Whatever the issue was, it doesn't matter. The root issue is because one of you acted unloving toward the other person. And that's the reason why we have issues with others because of our lack of love toward one another. And here's what happens. Love is a virtue. It's a quality that God wants us to have in life. He wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But when we fail to do that, we take away that virtue, but something has to go in its place. And usually, when we take a love away from our, in our hearts and our virtue away, we replace it with something destructive and something sinful that's going to destroy a relationship that we have. And so if you lack love, it's just going to be replaced with something destructive. And I love in Colossians 3 because Paul shows us some of the destructive social virtues in which we replace love with. And so let's read Colossians 3, verses 8 through 9. He says, but now is the time to get rid of. So obviously we know that these are already wrong. These are already bad for you and for me today because we're supposed to get rid of it. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. These are sinful qualities that pertain to our relationship with others. Did you catch that? All of those things are are how we relate to other people. Destructive social virtues, and let me tell you, Every single one of us in this room, you, me, everybody, we are all guilty of all of these. All of us. Our anger causes problems with others. Our rage causes problems with others. Our malicious, or malicious means hateful, our hateful behavior causes problems with others. That's the one I think our 2020 can be summed up as. There's a lot of malicious behavior going on with family, with friends, and with strangers. Our slander and our dirty language cause problems with others. Our lies cause problems with others. And I can say this very confidently because it happens to me. I feel that. Those destructive qualities cause issues with other people. And I can assume you can relate today. In the Christmas season, when we're around family, it's easy for us to allow these sinful qualities to rear their ugly heads 
and flow from our hearts. It's easy to allow these things to flow from our hearts because maybe your family member has a different point of view than you. Does that cause some anger? Maybe your coworker has wronged you, which probably inspires malicious or hateful behavior. Maybe your spouse is, or, or significant other is distant or not supporting you. Does that lead you to slander them to your friends? Are your kids not visiting because of COVID or other reasons, which means you end up lying to yourself or them? I mean, the list goes on. In order to reclaim Christmas, we have to, we must get rid of these sinful qualities that cause problems and instead aim for, struggle for, strive for peace. And so what does it look like to strive for peace? I'm glad you asked. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, Paul continues on here. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. I love when he lists things, okay? So he listed all the bad qualities. Now he's going to list a bunch of really good qualities for us to have. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. That's hard. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And so in this passage, we see how we should strive for peace. And the first thing we need to do to strive for peace is to embrace your status. Embrace your status. This is so important, so please don't miss this part. He opens this passage up with this phrase, since God chose you to be. Think about this. Paul brings up their status, their identity as it pertains to God. He is reminding them and us that we have been set apart for God's glory and for the sake of of others, okay? And so when we embrace our status, we're reminded on a daily basis of who we are in Christ. It's, it's imperative that all of us embrace our status before God and before others. Because when you embrace your status as an object of God's love, which is how he ends that phrase, God chose you to be the holy ones he loves, it's so important to embrace that because that will motivate our actions and character in life. When we embrace who we are in Christ, it will motivate our character and our actions. So because God has loved me, I'm going to love others. Because God has loved me, I'm going to forgive. Because God has loved me, I mean, the list goes on. But if you fail to embrace that status, then the rest of it is going to be very hard. And so we have to come to grips with who we are through Christ. And when we do that, then we can intentionally clothe ourselves with the right qualities. When you truly grasp who you are in Christ, now you can clothe yourselves with the right 
qualities. All of you, I don't think I saw a single person today not do this. You all intentionally clothed yourselves. Thank you for wearing clothes. Each one of you got up today, you made the very good decision to put clothes on. Okay? I love the imagery here. I really do. I love it. Because think about it. That's just something we do naturally every single day. Naturally. It just happens. Because we're humans. So because I'm a person, I put clothes on so I don't offend anybody. Paul's using that imagery so that we think about it in a very internal and eternal way. Just as we intentionally put physical clothes on, he says when you embrace who you are in Christ, when you embrace your status as someone who God loves, an object of God's love, then we intentionally clothe our lives with these right qualities daily. It's, it should be something we don't think about. We just do because of who we are, right? And it just flows. And so let's talk about these qualities for a second. He talks about first tenderhearted mercy, which actually, I like the ESV, it says compassionate heart. And what this means is it's a gut-wrenching compassion. And, and to go further, I actually really like how the KJV puts it. The KJV, said, instead of tenderhearted mercy, it says bowels of mercy, which means and brings with it the connotation that this mercy and this compassion comes from deep within our souls. And this is so important because every time Jesus got off a boat and he saw a crowd of people, was he impartial? No. It says he had compassion on them. And every time he sees you and he sees me, guess what happens? He's not impartial. He has compassion on us. And his compassion led him to his willingness to die on the cross for you and for me. Compassion, a gut-wrenching compassion or mercy that flows from the bowels of our souls motivates our actions and our character. Just like it did for Jesus, his compassion motivated him to go to the cross. Our compassion should lead us to certain things. And what should it lead to? First, kindness. Compassionate hearts lead to kindness. It leads to truly seeing someone for who they are, giving them worth, giving them value, and desiring someone's good. Compassion in our hearts leads to humility, humility, seeing ourselves for who we truly are. A lot of us have some rose-colored glasses about ourselves, don't we? Which is also why we naturally love ourselves more than others. And yet through Christ, through compassion in our hearts, that instills humility in our lives, seeing for who we truly are. Compassion in our hearts leads to gentleness. I like the word meekness better. It's a readiness to set aside our personal opinions or desires. I could just stop there, right? 2020 and COVID and all the issues that have arrived this year, it's a war on meekness. It's a war on empathy. Because all of us love our opinions. And yet compassion in our hearts leads us to set aside our opinions and desires. Compassionate hearts leads to patience. I love that this is a quote by Carson. It says, the resolute refusal to retaliate. 
I love that. I love that phrase. The resolute refusal, like you're, you're going to not retaliate. That's patience. I'm trying to teach my kids that. I literally see them every day retaliate. One hits one, the other one hits them harder, right? And then I tell them to stop, and they don't stop. They just keep hitting harder. So I have to figure it out. How do I instill patience? And then compassionate hearts lead to tolerance. This is a big one as well. Bearing with others in the midst of their failures and faults. We all have faults and failures. Every single one of us. And yet we are to tolerate people's shortcomings. Because guess what? People tolerate your shortcomings. People tolerate my shortcomings. My wife tolerates my shortcomings all the time. We are called to tolerance. That's what compassion will lead to. And then this one, forgiveness, because Jesus forgave your faults and failures. He says in the passage, forgiveness because Christ forgave you. So if you're struggling to forgive someone today, just think about the forgiveness that Jesus has given you and all of your sins and all of your iniquities, and he's forgiven you for that. And yet you're struggling to forgive someone over something that may be silly. Maybe small, it may be a big deal. We need to intentionally clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts. It leads to those other qualities, but he continues on by saying, but above all, but above all, clothe yourselves with love. But above all, clothe yourselves with love. Listen, this is not an added quality. This is not just a, a quality that's extended onto that list. He says, above all, which means this is the supreme virtue. And remember, the reason why we have problems with others is because we lack what? Love. We fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, but yet, Paul says here, have compassionate hearts. It's going to lead to all these other qualities, but above all of it, put on love because that binds us together in perfect harmony. And so think of it this way. You have your compassionate heart as your foundation, your core, and then you have your building blocks of all those other qualities. But to wrap it all together in completeness is love over top of it. And if you fail to love, if you fail to clothe yourself with love, listen, there will be cracks in your character. There will be cracks in your, your actions. And there will be cracks in your life. And one of those cracks is going to lead to your problems with others. And so we need to intentionally clothe ourselves. It should be something we just naturally do if we are, if we embrace our status Clothing yourselves with these qualities should be a natural reaction, just like putting on clothes every morning. When we do this, when we intentionally clothe ourselves with these right qualities, it will cultivate peace with others. I love what it says here. It says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And this is a big deal. He's saying two things here. Notice how it doesn't say clothe yourselves with peace. Right? So he's kind of going in that trend, like clothe yourselves with these qualities, clothe yourselves with love, but then it switches the verbiage and it says, let that peace that comes from Christ. This is very important to understand because peace, the peace of Christ that we have is already within us. If you embrace your status as someone whom God loves, an object of 
God's love, that peace has been given to you and it's already there. And so we don't have to clothe ourselves. It's already in our hearts if we are followers of Christ. And because it's there, then we're faced with this issue. We either let it rule or we don't. We either let it rule like an umpire who rules over a game. Because let me tell you, we have inner conflicts, don't we? The flesh and the spirit, they battle against each other. We feel it all the time. Who's going who's gonna to regulate what happens between the flesh and the spirit? I'll tell you, it's peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And so when love is battling bitterness and they're contending for your heart, peace is the governing factor. And when peace is the governing factor, guess what it's going to choose? Love. Guess what it's going to choose? It's going to choose compassion. It's going to choose kindness and humility and patience and all of those other virtues. But that is if we allow the peace of Christ to rule our hearts. And then, first, and then lastly, when we allow the peace of Christ to rule our hearts, it causes harmony and peace with others. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. I just want to implore you today, this is not a suggestion. As people who follow Jesus, it's not suggested to live in peace. We're called to it. We're called to it. There is a standard for which we need to live our daily lives because of our status, because of Jesus. Not because we have to look good, not because it's a to-do list, but because of who we are. Do you see how imperative it is to embrace your status? Because that motivates your actions and your character, just like it motivated Jesus to go to the cross. We're called to live in peace. As we close here today, I want to leave you with this quote and a question. This quote, I did not say this. It's way better. I don't know who said it. It's unknown. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God in the midst of chaos. I just want you to let that sink in real quick. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God in the midst of chaos. I want to encourage you today. In this Christmas season, don't just desire the absence of conflict because people are messy. Relationships are messy. Conflict's going to happen. So rather than desiring the absence of conflict, I want to encourage you to strive for, to aim for, to struggle for peace with others. We can be beacons of peace because the God of peace is present in this world. And the God of peace sent his son, who is the prince of peace, to instill peace in our hearts. And when we let this peace of Christ rule in our hearts, no matter the chaos happening, when we let the peace of Christ rule, peace with others will follow. And so allow that peace of Christ to rule in your hearts and ask yourself, are you going to be a problem with others this, this Christmas season? Or are you going to produce peace? That's up for you to decide. Would you stand with me and allow these words to, to be our prayer this morning?